morning. Well, last week we began a new series uh, looking at the values of River Rock Bible Church, which are to love God and love people. And you'll remember that, that we talked about how this was just really a summary of what Jesus on multiple occasions affirmed to be the greatest or most important commandment. And the passage that we're using for our series is found in Luke chapter 10. So if you would go ahead and, and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, in this passage, unlike Mark and, and the account found in Matthew, Jesus isn't asked about what is the greatest or most important commandment. Instead, he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And at first glance, if you, if you look at the man's answer, it, it's a little bit confusing, but we'll get to that in a minute. The, the first part of the man's answer is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is known as the Shema, and devout Jews would have recited this every morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so really, when you think about it, this, this one command summarizes the first four of the Ten Commandments, which deals with our relationship with God. If you were to give it a Cliff's Notes version, it would be love God. And the second half of the man's answer is a quotation from Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? And so, so this really addresses the remaining uh, six of the Ten Commandments, which have to do with our relationship with our fellow man, how we're to relate to one another. If you were to give this a Cliff's Notes version, it would be love, your, uh, love people. Right? And so the man answers, and Jesus looks at him and says, you've, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And now when Jesus says, do this and you will live, some people look at that and say, oh, well, Jesus is saying that if you are able to keep the law, that, that you can actually earn eternal life by keeping the law. Or some people might say, doing good works. But really, that's, that's not it at all. You have to get a little bit deeper into Jesus' response to this man to understand that what Jesus is saying is that if you can keep the law perfectly all the time and never break any of it, even just these two commandments, then yes, you, you will have eternal life. But, but really, what Jesus is pointing out is the impossibility for us to, to completely love God and completely love people perfectly all the time, right? How many, how many of us, again, how many of us have ever failed to love God completely? Anybody? All right, how many of us have ever failed to love people completely? All right, if you've ever been in traffic, I know that's true, right? We, we fail all the time, and so the point is not that we can gain eternal life by keeping the law or doing good works, but the point is that, that we're, we're to recognize from the law that, that we're in need of, of some help. And this man, rather than, than recognizing what Jesus is saying, it's, it's pretty clear that he understood that his way was impossible. And we see how defensive he gets in his answer, but instead of saying, you know what, Jesus, you're right, I, it's impossible for me to do this on my own, I need help. Tell me, what, what can I do to get that help? Instead of responding that way, he, he, it says that he, uh, 
he wanted to justify himself. And so he just asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to, to tell the story of the good Samaritan to explain who, my neighbor, who your neighbor is. So we have this, this story of a man who's coming and he's asking a difficult question. This isn't a, the first time this question was asked. In fact, uh, a lot of scholarship shows that as you dig into outside sources outside the Bible, that this was one of the number one questions that, that people would debate in Jesus' day in the religious circles is, okay, which is the most important command? Out of 613 commandments in the Old Testament, which one is the most important? And there's a story of a Pharisee in Jesus' day named Hillel. He was one of the leading scholars, a, a lawyer, much like this man that we read about in Luke chapter 10. And, and Hillel is approached by a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And he comes to Hillel and he says, I'll convert to Judaism on the condition that you, can, that you explain all of the law to me while I'm standing on one foot, right? He probably didn't have as good a balance as I do, right? So it was, he, he's saying, look, you've got to do it fast. And so Hillel thinks for a minute and he says, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. Everything else is commentary. Go and learn it. And so we see from, from this story uh, uh, an encounter that's recorded on a number of occasions in history that the Jewish tradition valued and they understood the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself. And you can open up to pretty much anywhere in the Old Testament and read a couple pages and understand that, that they also knew that it was important that they love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's Jesus who's the first in Matthew 22 and Mark 12 to combine these two commandments into one inseparable command. In fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Meaning that if you're, if you're able to do these two things, that sums up and that, that, and that captures the entire Old Testament. That's it. But as we see, none of us None of us can do that perfectly. And we're all going to struggle with that, right? And so as we, as we look this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at, first, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And second, why do we say that these two commands are inseparable? Why are they paired together so often in the New Testament? And the first part of that is, is how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Okay, and, and I think the, the hard part of that is not in loving our neighbor. The, the hard part is in loving them as we love ourselves. We all love ourselves, right? If, if people didn't love themselves, we wouldn't have things like MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, and, and blogging, or pretty much any form of social media. People love themselves. Some people a little bit more than others, but people love themselves, and, and they want everyone to know how wonderful they are, and so we have things like social media. But it's difficult to transfer that love that we have for ourselves onto someone else. In fact, if, if there's one person in our lives that we ought to be able to love as ourselves and do it 100% of the time, don't you think that that would be like our family, especially if you're married, your spouse? In fact, Paul, Paul says that husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves. And I think from the story last week uh, about that guy that was uh, going to leave his wife who just had his wisdom teeth out, had her wisdom teeth out, and this guy was going to go hunting the next day, right? What a jerk. I mean, who would ever do that? Oh, okay, it was me. Right, and, and so we struggle with that. I didn't, just to make that clear, I didn't go. I stayed with her, I did the right thing, but I was tempted, severely tempted to go and do that. But we find it's, it's you know, 99% of the time, 
it's, it's easy, but then there's that 1% of the time where, where what this person needs conflicts with what we want to do, and we find that difficulty in transferring over how our love for ourselves onto, onto other people. But this morning, let's just look at a couple of practical ways that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and the first one is this, that, that you would just pray for them. You love your neighbor as yourself if you pray for them. Now, if you're someone who prays, more than likely, there's a good portion of your prayer life that is spent on praying for your needs and, and what you need uh, God's help with or where you're struggling or, or where you're hurting or when you're not feeling well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's just the way it is. And so to, to love someone as yourself means that you would be praying for them. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all men. Right? Not just the men that are, the, the man, meaning mankind, not just the people that are easy to love, but that we would pray for all men. Now, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Before Amanda and I got married, my mom pulled me aside, and I think it was the day before we got married. She said, you know, uh, you and Amanda are about to get married, and I just want to let you know that you're not always going to like each other, but you will always love each other. She's going to do something that you don't like, and I'm sure you're going to do a lot of things that she doesn't like, but you will always love each other. And the same is true for us, that if we're to love people, there are always going to be things that people do that we don't like, but that doesn't mean that, that we withhold our love from them or that we, we don't demonstrate love towards them. In fact, we have some great examples from Scripture of, of people praying for, for those that are difficult to love. I mean, think about Sodom and Gomorrah, the wicked city. Yet Abraham, as he's, as he's praying for his nephew Lot to be rescued out of that city, he also prays that the people might be spared that they might be given another chance. You also have Moses, who's leading the Israelite people out of, out of Egypt. And, and these, this is a group of people that are always rebelling against God. They're continually disobeying God's command. And not only that, they're grumbling and complaining against Moses and his leadership, yet he stops and he prays for this people. On their behalf, he pleads for their lives uh, to God. Right, so you have these difficult people that are hard to love that we still pray for. And, and if you go to 2 Timothy 2, 4, the uh, few verses after that first prayers and intercessions be made for all, it tells us why. It says that God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we ought to be praying for all men, especially that, that they would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And as we pray for people, then we, we demonstrate that we truly love them. That we truly love them. And, you know, one of the things that I found that really helps me uh, in my prayer life, because there's always times that we pray for people, and um, when Paul says pray for all, all men, pray for all people, he doesn't mean just say a blanket prayer for the city or for the world. But he says all, he, what he has in mind is the people that you know. Pray for all the people that you know, that you interact with. And so what I've found is the best thing for me to do is I keep a prayer list. Some people may call it an impact list. And I try to write down the names of everybody that I know or that I come into contact with. And then what I do is next to their name, I write down what, what their prayer request may be. They may be sick and they need healing. They may have lost their job and, and they need to, to find a new job or they need to find some financial security. Or maybe their need is that they need 
to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever their need is, I just write it down next to them. And then what you can do from there is you take the list and divide it by seven. So that each day you're paying, praying for a group of people. And there are certain people on, on the list that you may want to pray for every single day. My wife and my kids are on that list that I pray for every single day. They get prayed for every single day. And then there are others that are kind of in a rotation that I pray for once a week or maybe once every other week, depending on how close a relationship we have. And it just gets you in the habit of praying for people, not just in a general sense, but, but you're praying for them. And, and what's really cool is as you have those, those prayer requests next to their name, you get to see how God is moving in their lives, even when they don't. And I can tell you one of the, one of the most meaningful things to me this past week, um, after the death of my grandpa, was was to get phone calls and emails and text messages and notes to just say, I'm praying for you this week. I'm, I'm praying for you and your family. And that's, I, I can't explain the amount of love that I felt to have those kinds of things coming uh, towards my family and, and knowing that those weren't just empty notes, but people were actually praying. The next way that we show our love for others is that we're forgiving of them. We're forgiving of them. Now, I get that, that uh, it can be difficult to forgive people at times. They do things that, that really hurt us, but just the same way that we don't withhold our love from people, we shouldn't withhold forgiveness. In fact, the first part of Leviticus 19.18 that this man is quoting says this. It says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against your neighbor. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. And, and think about it. I mean, how many people bear a grudge or or take vengeance against themselves. Nobody. Nobody does that. You might be your harshest critic, and you might have a hard time sometimes getting over a mistake that you made, but, but can you imagine what it would be like? Well, I'm just not talking to me right now. I'm giving myself the silent treatment, right? That just doesn't happen. So we should be forgiving of ourselves, and, and there's a great reason for, for why we should be forgiving, and, and that's found in Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So think about that. That you're to forgive other people to the extent that God has forgiven you through his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he died for all our sins, past, present, and future. They're all forgiven when we, when we come to him in faith. There's nothing that's held against us. There's nothing that, that God says, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't mean that one. That one's really bad, so I'm going to hold that one against you. No, they're, they're all forgiven. In fact, Jesus addresses this issue with his disciples when, when they're asked, Jesus, how, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, I, I tell you, 70 times seven. Now, again, Jesus isn't putting a, a literal number on it. Yes, that works out to 490, but he's not saying, hey, when they get to 489, you better let them know that they've only got one more time that you have to forgive them, and that's it. No, he's saying, he, he's throwing out such a big number that, that the point is that you just keep on forgiving them until you lose count, and you keep forgiving past that. So you want to demonstrate love for someone, you'll be forgiving of them. The next thing is to, to be just towards them. To love others to love your neighbor as yourself means that you'll show justice towards them. Micah 6, 8 says, uh, says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require, but to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. 
So to, to love your neighbor as yourself is to show justice, to be just towards them. And this includes just a couple of things quickly. And the, the first is that you, you don't oppress them. And, and when we talk about oppression, that just means that you burden them by abusing power. And that can take a number of forms. It doesn't always have to be like, like your boss is, is oppressing you by making you work long hours. You can oppress someone through manipulation, using your relationship with them to get what you want. And that can be oppressive. And what we see is, is that this, uh, we have in Matthew 20, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's pointing out how the Gentiles use their relationships with one another to oppress each other. And he says, look at the Gentile rulers, how they lord their authority over the people around them. And he says, it's not supposed to be this way with you. In, in Matthew 20, 26, Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then we see that Jesus sets the ultimate example by by laying down his life, by dying on the cross. He sets the example of what that kind of servant relationship, servant leadership looks like. And he says, this is what you're to do for one another, that you would lay down your life. John tells us, uh, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, sometimes we take that and we say, oh, that I have to go die, physically die, take a bullet for one of my friends to show them that that I, I have great love for them. Well, no. No, sometimes what I think that means is that when you lay down your life, it means that you lay down the things that you want, the things that you would prefer, the things that you desire to promote the needs of the other person so that they can take steps forward, so that they can grow, so that they can be encouraged. You set aside your wants, your desires to promote someone else. That's true love. That's where the greatest love comes in, that you would be a servant to the people that are around you, not oppressing them. The next part of that is, is not just not oppressing them, but um, not showing favoritism. Favoritism is addressed in multiple passages in the New Testament. You have 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says, don't show partiality. James chapter 2 specifically says, don't show favoritism. When we show favoritism anytime we treat someone differently than we would anybody else, whether it's because they have money or they don't have money. They wear the right clothes or they don't wear the right clothes. They, they have the right kind of job or they don't have the right kind of job or they're living the way that we think they should live, or they're not living the way that we think they should live. Now, like I said earlier, there's always going to be stuff that people do that we don't like, and there's going to be lifestyles that that we don't agree with, and that Scripture clearly says that uh, we shouldn't agree with, but that doesn't mean that we should love them any differently, that we should treat them any differently, that we should push them off to the side because of something that's going on in their life. No, we... We don't do that. We don't show favoritism. And Romans 2.11 says that God does not show partiality. God does not show partiality, so neither should we. And the last part is is that we don't rob people. If you were to look at Romans chapter 13, Paul Paul talks about um, giving everyone what is due to them. Okay? And he says if if you owe someone respect, give them respect. If it's honor, then give them honor. If it's taxes, then give them honor taxes. He goes on to say, owe, owe nothing to anyone except the debt of love. 
right? Owe nothing to anyone except the debt of love. And when you think about it, robbing, as I look around this room, I don't see maybe one or two of you that I could picture robbing a house or stealing a car, but not many of you out here uh, could I picture stealing something from someone else. But, but it's more than that. You think about the commandments 5 through 9. Honor your father and mother means don't rob them of respect. Do not murder means don't rob someone of their life. Don't commit adultery means that you don't rob someone of their spouse. Do not steal, that's pretty simple. You don't rob someone of their physical property. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor means that you don't rob someone of a good reputation. And that goes right into the, to our next point, which is that if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be truthful about them. Not many people go around telling lies about themselves, except for maybe politicians, but that's how they get elected. They have to do it. But we don't go around telling lies about ourselves to make ourselves look bad. We, we usually tell the truth about ourselves, and we ought to be truthful about our neighbors, about the people that we want to show that we love them. And there's, there's a really good reason in John chapter 8 why we shouldn't be participating in lies. And that's because Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies. Not exactly the character that, that I want to be associated with, right? You start throwing around that word Satan and the father of lies, and you get those two mixed up together. Uh, that's not exactly how I want to be known, right? I don't think any of us do. But there's a more important reason than that. You see, lies have, have the potential to ruin lives and destroy relationships. Telling a lie about someone or about something can, can really ruin relationships. You lose that trust. Not only that, but you can, you can really hurt someone's reputation in their life. And that just shows a, a lack of care for their well-being, which is our, our last point. That if you if you truly love someone, that you would be concerned for their well-being. And one of the ways that we show a lack of concern for well-being is, is when we gossip about people. Now, most of us can identify gossip as it's happening, right? It starts out like this. Did you know about? Did you hear about? Did you see what? And whatever follows, we can usually assume is gossip, but in the church, we're, we're too kind for, for open gossip like that. So we're pretty smart about how we gossip in the church. We do it this way. We say, y'all, we need to be praying for Brother Charlie. You know that he once almost went hunting and left his wife at home after she had her wisdom teeth out. We need to pray for that man, y'all, if we can even still call him a man. And that's how it happens. That's how stuff starts getting around. And pretty soon, you know, it's like Charlie was in Las Vegas while his wife was having the triplets, you know, for the first four months. And, and you know, it just spreads. So if you want to show genuine concern for people, you just don't gossip about them. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Charlie, shouldn't this go with be truthful about them? And it probably could, but here's the thing we have to keep in mind about gossip. Is that it's gossip even if it's true. It's still gossip, even if it's true. Now, one of the things that, that I do to, to try to catch myself, if I'm ever tempted to, to share a story about someone else, is ask myself, do I have this person's permission to share that? And if the answer is no, then you know your role, you shut your hole, and you move on, right? You just don't say anything. Like, I've got I've to not say anything at all. As much as I want to tell this, this is good. I just, I just don't say it. 
But if it's something, maybe it's someone who's really hurting and they could use prayer, and I've got a group of friends that I pray with regularly, and I, I feel burdened that, man, more people ought to be praying for my friend. I go back to that person and I say, look, I've got some friends that pray with me regularly. Can I share this prayer request with them? Can I have your permission to share that with them? It's going to stay with us. And if they say yes, great, then you can take it to that group of people that you told them were going to know about it. And you share it and you pray with them together. But if they say no, then, then you just keep moving on. You keep praying for that person, but you don't share it with anyone else. The next way we, we show that we're concerned for someone else's well-being is that we, we meet their physical needs. We meet their physical needs. Matthew chapter 20, uh, 25, Jesus is talking about the day of judgment. And he says that, that the righteous will come forward and he will say to them that when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And they'll, they'll ask Jesus, when did we do all this for you? I don't remember doing any of that. And he'll say, when you did it to the least of these, you, you did it for me. Right? And so that shows concern for someone's well-being, that you would meet their physical needs. But we also see in there the meeting of emotional needs. That when I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was sick, you came and spent time with me. But here's the thing, when, when we're meeting those needs, physical and emotional, we, we have to be careful that we don't neglect the most important need of all, one that we all share across all humanity, and that is, is the spiritual need, that many times there's, there is a need that is deeper than the physical and, and the emotional, and that's the need for a relationship with Jesus. In fact, some people might say that, that to withhold that would be the opposite of love, there's a famous magician named Penn Jillette. How many of you have ever heard of Penn and Teller? Anybody? They've got a show out in Las Vegas. They're on TV all the time. And uh, Penn Jillette is not only a, a famous magician, illusionist, but he's also a, an outspoken atheist. And a while back, he, after one of his shows, he went backstage and he was approached by a man who'd been in the show the night before. And, and the man took the time to, to present him with a Bible, just the little Gideon Bible that he, he took from the hotel, uh, to give to the man, to give to Penn Jillette, and, and then he took the time to share his faith. And it, it impacted him so much, so even though he's still an atheist, he went home and recorded a little video and put it on his website. Let's listen to just a little bit of that right now. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not, getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. 
How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? That's a powerful thought. That's a powerful, powerful thought. River Rock Bible Church, our vision is that we would go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That's why we're so committed to loving people unconditionally, to, to not showing favoritism, to praying for them, to being forgiving of them when they hurt us, to being just towards them, to, to being concerned for their well-being. Because our desire is like, like Paul said, that God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We share that same desire. You want to know why we do this? Why do we love people unconditionally? Why are these two commands joined together? Because of this. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I read that verse, what I see is that God loves people so much that he would send his own son to die in their place. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves people. And as we saw last week, if we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can't love God and not love people because God loves people so deeply. I hate figure skating. I hate it with a passion. I hate the Winter Olympics. My wife loves the Winter Olympics. She loves figure skating. So do you know what we watch when the Winter Olympics come on? We watch figure skating because I love my wife, so I love figure skating. God loves people. We love God, so we have to love people. And we do. And we do. You may be here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm one of those people that could just use some unconditional love right now. You have no idea what's going on in my life, but man, I am, I'm at a point where that's, that's what I need. And we want you to know that, that you're welcome here. Or if you know someone who is in that spot, that, that they could just use a community of people that would come around them as a family and love them and pray for them and support them and be there for them, that this is the place that we want to welcome them in. And we want to be there for them. Maybe you're here this morning and that video shook you up a little bit. Or maybe like me, it hit, hit you right between the eyes. And you're rolling, rolling around in the back of your head. How much do I have to hate someone to not proselytize them, to not share Jesus with them? And if that's you, I just want to encourage you. It, it is worth it. It is worth it for you to take that step and have that awkward conversation have that, that moment of awkwardness. Isn't it worth it? Isn't someone's life worth it? If you truly love them, if you truly love them, they're going to understand that this is coming from a place of love, that this person cares about me and wants to, wants to know for sure that, that I'm headed in the right direction. And if that's scary to you, don't, don't be afraid of that because, again, we're here as a community, as a family of believers committed to seeing lives changed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you're not alone. You're not alone. We sang it earlier that we could change the world. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. And that's our desire, that we could change the world, starting right here in Georgetown.
So wherever you are, my prayer is that you would get plugged into River Rock Bible Church, that you would get plugged into to what's taking place here, because no matter where you are, God has a next step for you, and we want to be a part of that. We want to change the world together. We want to reach every man, woman, and child. We pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to to die in our place and that, that we could then have a relationship with you and, and learn to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and that we could learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. And even though we know that, that we'll never be able to do this perfectly, God, we still strive to do this as best we can through your power, that other people would see your power, they would know your power, and that we would have the opportunity to see them begin a relationship with you and, and grow in their love for you and grow in their love for people. That we literally would see this world changed because of relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are excited about doing that this week, Lord. I pray that you would give us boldness as we go forward. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.